0: Hello and welcome to this special episode that is part of our post-NFM professional development sessions for the summer 2021 national faculty meeting. In this episode, we welcome Dr. Tara Galleon, program coordinator and SME subject matter expert in our School of Health Sciences, and Susan Stuck, academic coach for bachelor's health and MHA programs. Tara and Sue will examine and share SME and coach best practices as a part two to the tempo triad model series. A link to part one is available in the show notes. Now let's listen to the conversation. So to get us started, Tara, I'll start with you. Can you tell us what competency-based education is for those who may not be familiar?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, I think CBAN, the Competency-Based Education Network, has um, one of the best definitions because it's short and simple, so I'd like to share that. Um, So according to CBAN and CBE, uh, students acquire and demonstrate their knowledge and skills like in a particular area of study by engaging in learning exercises, you know, activities and experiences that align with clearly defined uh, programmatic outcomes. Um, Walden also described CBE as a way for students to work at a pace that makes sense to them and um, to progress once they've demonstrated an understanding of a subject. So with that in mind, um, there are some specific qualities that describe competency-based education. Um, They are student-centered, criterion-based, and without time constraints, which I just mentioned in those definitions. But let me just kind of Talk a little bit about each one of those. So student-centered is an approach that kind of shifts the response, not kind of, it shifts the responsibility of learning to the student rather than that traditional instructional process, which is like instructor-driven. So criteria-based, so rather than it being norm reference so that is students' skills and knowledge are compared against like a predetermined standard instead of against the knowledge and skills like of a norm group which is oftentimes um, a nationwide norm reference that they have. So you have that bell curve. If you can imagine that when you were in school, we don't have that in competency-based education. It is based on a predetermined uh, criterion that a student must meet. Um, And then without time constraints, as it indicated in in those definitions, students progress at their own pace rather than as a group made up of students like in the traditional classroom there are no deadlines in terms of the assessments sue might talk about other deadlines um, but not in terms of any type of assessment in the um, in their competencies so that's really basically what competency-based education is
0: yeah, thank you for highlighting those things. And and as you did that, I I did hear and I was listening for what some of the differences uh, may be between competency based and course based. Sue, can you talk more about what some of those differences are between course based and competency based?
2: Sure. Course based learning is a traditional program that is guided at a guided pace to earn the degree. Competency-based programs, and here at Walden, we call it tempo learning, is a flexible-paced program that allows students to determine their own schedule. Course-based programs have deadlines to ensure steady progress, and competency-based learning allows students the flexibility to set their own pace, work on school as life allows, to speed up or slow down depending on what life is throwing them. I'm sure you can imagine that when life is crazy, you can't step away from work because you have to put food on the table. You can't step away from your family responsibilities because the family will always find you. So you could take a step back from school as needed as long as you step back into it when things lighten up. In course-based, the faculty teach this, the content and guide the students through the courses as the student earns their degree. And in competency-based learning, subject matter experts offer support if and when a student needs the support. The students also have an academic coach that help with the logistics of the degree and like the deadlines that Tara mentioned, as well as we help the the students set realistic short and long-term goals. The final difference between course-based and competency-based education is how tuition is calculated. In course-based programs, students pay tuition based on either the credits that they take, the number of credits, or the courses that they take. In competency-based education, students pay a flat subscription fee. In Tempo, it's for a three month time period. And that does not change with the number of credits that a student complete. So, um, Ashley, visualize your Netflix subscription. You pay your monthly fee, whether you just watch one movie or maybe you binge watch all of *Shit's Creek's episodes or whatever your favorite series is. Tempo students pay the flat subscription fee if they complete zero credits or if they complete 40 credits. It doesn't change.
1: Yeah, I'd like to just add something to that as well. Um, so, you know, you talked Sue talked a little bit about um, this relationship thing. So that is a very key difference um, between course space and tempo is the nature of the relationship between faculty and a student and the way in which students engage in the content. Um, so, um, you know, in course-based the, 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 the faculty member is often that main person who's also a, the support provider, not only the content person, but really, you know, is, is also providing this, this level of support. Not to say that that doesn't happen in competency-based, but the academics coach's role is such an important role because that is their main area. They are helping to guide the student, support the student, to help them be successful.
0: Well, thank you for sharing that. No, and I was going to touch on that. It sounds like, Sue, you mentioned multiple aspects of obviously the differences and the flexibility being one um, and the subscription and that kind of being a new thing. Obviously, we do it in life in other places. So why not for academia? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But back to the relationships, Tar, can you speak more about these components that make up the support system for the student?
1: Yes. um, So... In tempo, which is Walden's versions of of competency-based education, um, we have what we call the tempo triad. And so you can just imagine the triad like being a triangle with um, you know, elements at each corner. So the triad, the tempo triad, consists of the student, um, the academic coach, and the subject matter expert. And at the heart of the triad, so just envisioning that triangle in the center is a high quality learning and student success. I mean, that is what our, over, our, our overall goal is. So in order to accomplish these two goals, um, quality learning and student success, all three members of this triad, the student, the AC and the SME must be fully committed and engaged in the learning process. And they do that through quality communication, meaningful engagement, being connected and having a a sense of presence and receiving and giving uh, support, all of which are represented, um, if you would imagine by, Uh, A a two sided arrow that's going between each of these corners like these are important elements that we must have to, to, you know, to help students be successful.
0: Thank you I, I was able to visualize that so I'll say I have that double arrow triangle all coming together for those three components. But what are some of the best practices that an academic coach may take to support students Sue. The most important
2: thing that I do is I conduct quality conversations with each of my students. And during those conversations, we set realistic goals, we develop plans of actions, um, we address any concerns, and I work on teaching the students to be responsible and accountable for their own actions. I do this through either weekly or biweekly progress calls, depending on the students. We often like to start them off on weekly, and as they get a a hold of the program and understand expectations, they can transition to biweekly. But this is a requirement of tempo learning um, in this modality is to have these coach calls. And they're important to do with students that are struggling and with students that are experiencing success. It is obvious how you have, um, it benefits a struggling student. You know, we can work on what is your roadblock? What is getting in your way? How can you get to the next step? What do you need to do? But um, also visualize um, students that are a success and, but they still need to have the um, calls. Now, Tara, you and I are working with a student who is in her capstone right now. It's her final course for her whole degree. She's been in the program for two terms, six months, and has completed an amazing, at this point, 66.25 credits out of 180 credit degree. She she transferred in the rest. And in two two terms, in six months, she's completed 66.25 credits. Now, I speak to her every week still because I'm, not, I'm her accountability, she knows I'm calling her Monday afternoon, she's going to be there to tell me what she did, but I'm also there to help calm her down. This student has high anxieties, and the way that we overcome them is to be consistently working on the program and completing competencies, but her anxieties also get in the way. If she hits a roadblock, she will spiral. So, just the other day, so right now she has 3.75 credits until she graduates, three competencies, which means three assignments until she earns her degree. And Wednesday morning, I received an email from her that she is stuck and that she is thinking of withdrawing from the program. She hit a roadblock, she hit it hard, and her instinct was to stop. Obviously I'm not going to let that happen. I'm not going to let her drop out of the program because of an issue, but I have a good relationship with her. She can communicate these concerns to me because of the relationship that we have built, and I can help walk her through them. And I'll also bring in Tara on this because we have a great relationship, and she has a relationship with the student. So what is probably going to happen, I reached out to my student yesterday and said, let's get on the phone. Let's the three of us sit and talk about this. That way, Tara can explain the expectations for the assignment. Um, She can ask the questions in real time instead of working on the discussion board. And I can be there to help um, facilitate, answer any questions, and and get her through this degree. I'm hoping by this time next week, she is done and graduated. So that would be really good. So um, that brings me into my second best practice, I work to challenge students to relate their educational goals to their professional and their personal goals. I start the relationship with each student by getting to know who they are. I literally ask them, tell me who you are and who is in your world and what do you do? So who are you as a person, not just as a student, but as a person who is in your world as you go through this journey? What do you do outside school and what do you do for your job? And then I try to pull it all together and say, what is your dream job? A lot of times people don't know, but they know kind of what they want to be. If they have no idea what it is and they say they want to be a dancer, I kind of have a conversation with them that maybe this isn't the right program for them. But usually, because we work in the healthcare degree, usually they want to be in some sort of healthcare management or public health program. And I take note of this. So I like to know from the beginning who every student is and where do you want to go? So with the the student I was referring to earlier, when a roadblock comes up, I can refer back to the, remember, this is why you wanna do this. You are doing all this work because you wanna take it to this next level. So I can remind her why she is spending the time on this degree and how it's gonna help her achieve her goal. Now this student actually received a job offer last week because she will have her degree soon. So she's not gonna realistically withdraw. But a student that has a lot to go left in their program, I'm there to remind them that this is just part of the process. And It's funny, once a lot of times I'll say life is not about taking the elevator, it's about taking the stairs one step at a time. And that's what competency-based learning is, is taking one step at a time and getting
1: through it. Oh, Let me just okay. say, I am the subject matter expert, obviously, uh, for this student. Um, and I can't tell you how grateful I am that we have an academic coach um, in this program and, and how, um, you know, that, that Sue is working with the student in that way, because that's not the relationship that the SME, the subject matter expert has with their students. It's very different in competency-based education. And so, um, just being able to talk to Sue about what this you know what's going on with the student helps me as well better understand um, how I can better support her from a content um, and communication you know standpoint so I think this really just illustrates this the importance of the relationship between the academic coach and the SME and you know if anything that Sue and I want from this podcast when people are listening is to understand the importance of that relationship. And if you don't know your academic coaches and you are a subject matter expert, get to know them, get to know them in your program, because um, it's going to make your job easier. It's going to um, help the student be more successful um, and really, you know, if if you're talking about retention numbers, it's going to make the university happy. So, um, yeah, such an important um, piece in this um, in tempo that really needs to be emphasized.
2: And our conversations do help. So, when Tara and I were talking about this student the other day, I was able to mention to her part of the reason this student is panicking is based on her subscription. Right now, she has ten days remaining in her subscription, and she wants to finish her degree. And she said to me, if I can't get it done, I'm just gonna I'm gonna have to find some loans to pay for the next subscription. Well, I was able to give that information to Tara, and she could approach it at a completely different, knowing that this student has a deadline looming that is causing some of her anxieties, we're able to help communicate, calm it down and all be on the same page of what needs to be done. So the the student has success and doesn't leave the program because of of something silly like this. So that brings me to another best practice is I serve as the student's first point of contact for all administrative issues, including academic standing. Um, And I assist the student in resolving these issues. If there's anything content related they go to their subject matter expert. I can't help them with their, what they're learning about, but anything else is, is something that I tell them they have a dedicated student for. Since each student in the program has an academic coach that they will stay with through their whole program. I constantly work on students with how many credits they need to complete um, to maintain satisfactory academic progress or to receive financial aid disbursements in tempo you have to receive credits to get financial aid. You have to complete credits to receive financial aid. It's not just you're gonna get it at a period of time, certain time has to pass and a certain number of credits have to be done. So I help remind the student to stay focused on that so that they can get those disbursements to pay for the program. And then I do things like help students get um, transcripts, work with students in the healthcare industry. A lot of um, healthcare, hospitals and practices are offering tuition reimbursement. So I work with the students to make sure that not only are they putting the right information for the reimbursement, but I remind them what they need to complete so that they can get that reimbursement. I connect students with financial account management and military services, anything like that. If I don't know the answer, I will find out where it is and who can do the get the answer for them.
1: And you're, finally so the best- you're the, you're the advocate. You are a student advocate, yeah.
2: I am. Absolutely. And I will, I work with the SMEs on, on everything to make sure that this triad is so important, but I am there so that the student doesn't feel like it's a student against an instructor or trying to, if you think about our, our subject matter experts come from the industry, they're running hospital systems. They, they are, are what these students want to be but sometimes they don't feel they have a voice on how to talk to the SNE to get the information, to communicate what they are trying to say. So just having me by their side and able to help make sure that that relationship is, is um, the, you know, that triad is there. And, but if it comes to any other part of the university, I am that advocate, I am speaking for the student, and I am going to make sure that the students' needs are met. They are the most important in my mind. And then finally, the most important part of my relationship with these students is to celebrate their successes. And I'm not just talking about when they graduate, Like the student, she's gonna graduate hopefully within a week here. But I also celebrate every competency that they complete, every area of expertise they complete. And sometimes I celebrate the student logged into their learning portal or answered my phone call. There's times that things are struggling and it's easy to run from school. I'm so far behind. I can't think of going into my, pro, my portal I can't take this call from Sue because she's gonna yell at me. Not the way I work. We celebrate everything. I cannot tell you how many times a day I say, I am proud of a student.
0: Wow, Sue. I just have to say there were many times I wanted to interrupt and celebrate the work that you do so I can see and hear how beneficial your role is and particularly your person is to your role. Um, So kudos to our academic coaches on the tempo side. This is great to hear and great to hear the steps that you take and other coaches take to support the students. It, It makes my student heart really happy to hear that.
2: Well, thank you. And tempo time is money. And I can't imagine any of my students not having somebody that they can go to right away and get their problem fixed so that they're not wasting any time.
0: Yeah, that's great. And Tara, you had started to mention and you both mentioned, you know, again, the triad that is there for the students and the student is a part of that. but how, how also do SMEs play a part and what are some of the best practices that, that SMEs assist in?
1: Great question. <laughs> um, so be- beyond being an expert in the content of an area of expertise, which is a course um, in TEMPO. The subject matter expert, you know, plays an important role in the type of learning environment students experience um, and the quality and integrity of an academic program. And and clearly the, you know, the overall success of the TEMPO learning modality. Um, This is rather new at Walden. We're two years in, well, it's been here longer, but for many of the programs, they started like two years ago. So when I talk about best practices in tempo, I'm also referring to practices beyond uh, teaching best practices. I think that's important. So I kind of preface my discussion of best practices with this statement because I really want to highlight the comprehensive nature of the role of being a subject matter expert. So back to your question, Ashley, what are the best practices for SMEs? Um, So SMEs can learn the learning platform. I mean, who would think that that's a best practice, but actually it's a very important best practice. Um, The learning platform is also known as the learning management system, you'll hear it called LMS. Um, And what I mean by that the SMEs by this is that SMEs can go beyond the basics that they may learn in their training by exploring the platform and being curious, You know, such as clicking on links and tabs to see what features are available in the LMS. They can locate job aids for the platform that provide step-by-step instructions to complete a process like setting up their profile and setting up instant email notifications when a student posts in the discussion area. That's pretty critical to have that stuff done. Um, they can also reach out to the faculty support agents. Um, that's a great resource that Walden provides to ask questions and um, receive links to important resources that will help them you know, be better practitioners um, in the platform. So these actions can help SMEs problem solve quickly. They can ensure they are providing students with accurate information about the platform and its functionality. It also helps for consistency across competencies, across areas of expertise, across the programs and within the discipline and across the discipline. Consistency, I'm gonna talk about that next because that is a very important best practice. So number two, being consistent. Um, one way for faculty to be consistent, you know, not only across their competencies, but also as a member of a consistent faculty across an area of expertise, Um, is to attend trainings and meet with other SMEs and leadership to talk about challenges and, you know, what's going right. Creating consistent practices across an area of expertise is less confusing to the student. So imagine being a student who is receiving one type of practice and behavior from a SME, and then they get into another competency, and it's totally different the way the the SME grades or communicates with them. um, This is really confusing to students. So, you know, creating consistency helps to reduce that anxiety that they might feel and also um, any confusion that they may have about what are the expectations for them. Um, It also helps us maintain the integrity of our curriculum by being consistent. So that's an important piece for a program. It is an important piece for the university to have that type of consistency. Another best practices is um, being inclusive all right and that's that's a big word right now and we're really focusing at walden about how to be more inclusive we've i feel that walden does a great job of being inclusive but it's always an area that can be improved and so i really highlight that here now because it's so such an important part to student success and their their ability to learn so you know what are some things about how we can be inclusive being present being present in your competencies um, is, 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 a, is really important. Letting the students know that you are there when they need you to ask a question. So um, being clear and consistent when communicating the expectations and feedback. It should be consistent across all the students, what you're saying, what are the expectations and having those very clear instructions of what students should be, should be doing. Being flexible. You know, we have students from all over the country, we have people from other parts of the world, you know, when we talk about time zones and things like that, we really do need to be flexible with how we might communicate with them. You know, I indicated before there's no deadlines in, um in the competencies with the assessments, but you know how we communicate setting up an appointment possibly we need to have that flexibility, why am I meeting with the student on a Saturday. Because this student works Monday through Friday and this is her day off. So I have to try to be flexible to be able to, um, you know, help um, this student be successful. Um, ask students about themselves. And I think that, you know, Sue really made a point about that academic coaches do that. So should su- subject matter experts. You should know what that who that student is. You don't have to have, you know, everything about them, but having a general idea of what are they interested in? What what type of profession are they already in? What skills and knowledge are they bringing into the competencies? Um, Temple is designed for students who have previous experience. That's the idea behind it, that they can bring their skills and knowledge and they may be able to get through one competency really quickly because they know the content already. Right. So um, this is important information for a a faculty member to know whether what what the student is bringing in with them. So get to know your students um, and you can do that. um, You know, usually when they first enter in the the first competency in an area of expertise that you're teaching. Um, And then so Sue and I had this great conversation uh, the other day about this term failed. That a student has failed an assessment. Um, so, students in competency based education, they achieve, they not or not achieve, or they master. I mean, achievement could be achievement or mastery. Um, but using the term fail is really taken very differently across different groups of people and how they interpret what that word means. And it can be quite detrimental to, you know, your confidence and moving forward. So I asked subject matter experts, does, you know, we're we are so trained in course based, like through our academic experience, we have always used that word failed, the student failed the task the student you know failed the course it's just part of our our vocabulary, but I asked subject matter experts in tempo if we can try and take that out of our vocabulary, and so instead of saying that the student has failed the assessment, we can go to what really has happened, they did not achieve the assessment right, Um, and I think that that might help kind of you know, decrease that sensitivity that students might feel about being a failure. And I would say this, especially early on for students who are first entering into those first competencies, they have may, may have never been in college before, or they could have been not in school for a really long time. And then you hit that first course, that first competency, and you you hear failure, like it could be really hurtful. I mean, it could really um, decrease their their enthusiasm for continuing. So practicing inclusivity and, and I would say going out there and researching a little bit more about it. If you're not quite sure of the types of activities that you can do, um, there's so much information that Walden is beginning to provide and, and there you know, are other resources online. So another best practice obviously is engaging students. Um, and let me just talk a little bit about that. So in Tempo, it's quite different than course Base in that students um, don't have this official discussion area that they have to interact with other students. Uh, Tempo is one-on-one with the, the, the SME. And so um, in the discussion area, it's called the connect with my faculty SME area, faculty members are required to post a, like a welcome to the student and a engagement prompt that will require the student to have a substantive response to it. Um, the reason for that is, I mean, you know, there is the Department of Education that is looking at our programs, and being engaging with a, a student is part of the, you know, the educational process. And if we take that out, we set ourselves up to be, you know, scrutinized about the quality of our, our programs. And so it is really important that we take the time to um, engage students in this area and create prompts that get them thinking about the topic, you know, and, and plus it's a good time, like I use it, is to find out what the student knows already, because by doing that, I know what to expect when they submit their assessment. So um, um, I would say, you know, Really take some heart to the types of questions that you're asking, um, and you want to ask them, you know, things that are also culturally competent. You know, you want to be be very mindful of how you're asking questions and the type of questions. And we're going to be offering lots of training on that for faculty members who are looking for ideas and ways to enhance their cultural competency in teaching. Um, I also say that engagement is, you know, once a student responds, please respond back to them, let them know that you read it like that tells them something that you are there and that you're present and that you care what they have to say, Um, Also, uh, you know, this is a best practice, whether you're in course-based or not, is responding to student questions and concerns in a professional and timely manner. And I say with empathy as well. We need to understand student circumstances like, you know, they have family. Sue has really covered this very well when she talked about, you know, you have students have families and full-time jobs and you know, aren't getting a lot of rest and they're trying to continue their education. And we need to, you know, be mindful of that and we need to be empathetic about that. Um, And so I think expressing empathy and understanding is such a great way for us to support our students and to help them be successful. And then lastly, providing um, timely, substantive, expert-driven feedback and tempo. Teaching opportunity is our feedback. That is where we engage our students. So we really need to emphasize and to put um, some time into the feedback that we provide. It needs to be purposeful. It needs to be guiding and help students understand what they, those gaps that they may need to fill. Um, so I, there's not much more that I can say than that. Consider your feedback your teaching opportunity um, and, and don't um, try not to, you know, be brief, you know, put some time in, in, into that. So yeah, those are my, uh, you know, the major best practices. I mean, that I feel that will really um, improve our tempo learning modality.
2: And one other thing that both um, this me and the coach is a best practice is Um, supporting the student with um, outside academic resources. So as Tara mentioned, we have students from other countries and we have students students that haven't been in school for decades. They might not have been in school for the past 30 years. They've been out working, raising their family. Now they're coming back to get their degree and they need to get their degree for that next level job. And they're coming into an online self-paced program and they have APA. So that is a big twist in there. Or they might have I might have students coming in that have no college experience before. And again, APA and any other resource. So both the SME and the coach, we're responsible for getting APA resources to the students, directing them to the writing center, the Walden Library, anything that they need academically for support is is something that is so important for both the SME and the coach to be responsible for.
0: Thank you for adding that, Sue. Well, as we begin to conclude, I just want to say that I'm so grateful to be a part of this conversation. Um, Although I work with Tempo in various ways, I've learned a lot from both of you sharing. And I'll also say I'm just proud to hear our faculty and our coaches talk about a lot of the things that we, too, in the Office of Teaching and Learning Excellence hope that faculty will get as they go through and go through training and get into the classroom or competency. So. Again, just kudos to you both for having those mindsets and utilizing the best practices that you do. I'll say that just one of my biggest takeaways from hearing both of your best practices and sharing was the need for quality conversations and quality uh, presence from a faculty member and the coaches to really think about where the student is, who the student is, and what their ultimate goal is. So again, thank you both for sharing, uh, for providing best practices for not only our Uh, TEMPO faculty SMEs but also our academic coaches uh, that support the students in giving us the, the broader picture of how this all works together.